on the Texas Steampunk Connection, your source for steampunk event information in the great free state of Texas. We also discuss books, films, comics, and games. Also, we enjoy visiting with the local steampunk luminaries. I'm Flavio. I'm Erica. And I'm Fax, your hosts. Thank you for tuning in, and now on to the episode. This is the Texas Steampunk Connection. This is Season 2, Episode 2, our first on film. For a brief amount of time, we're going to be doing an unveiling. And we're coming to you with our first uh, Steam Chest. Steam Chest, yes. It is a monthly subscription service for Steampunks. And uh, we've been talking about it. It has finally come in. Yes, finally. So been looking forward to it. Let's see what we have in here. Inside. Oh. The skies have taken many things from us this holiday, but we found solace in knowing that we can still navigate through the ether. Lex is with us. She came in riding a mechanical caribou, which Josh Maylett kindly drew on the shirt you've smuggled your goods in. More teas to keep you warm, and a stowaway who can help you drink it. While creating this new graphic novel, the Dark Professor has happened upon creatures from his travels. He isolated them in these sample jars for you to hand off to Arco that infamous cryptozoologist for studies. The last cargo shipment we had on Fisk's ship landed us in a heap of equipment, and I got stuck down there in the bay for two days while the crew attempted to get everything dislodged and decided to create something useful. I hope you enjoy your music box. We have also landed some discount tickets to the Circus of the Sun. Lex has told me I need to call the show the Cirque du Soleil, Curios. Lastly, the crew has found some purely magical ether-etched cards for your holiday cheer. Happy holidays, Cap. Sorry this came so late. It seems our shipments keep getting intercepted in transit. We'll work harder to improve on this. We threw in something extra for the trouble. Your faithful first mate, Zeke. Oh, okay. Okay. So, here we are. The December uh, Steam Chest from SteamChest.com uh, finally arrived this month. They had uh, delays because of uh, shipping. their suppliers and Christmas stuff. always slows things down with the shipping. But it has finally come. Yes, there are two different types. There's one that includes a t-shirt and one is not, that does not include a t-shirt. I got the one with a t-shirt. He got the one without a t-shirt. <laughs> so, we shall see the difference. Are this box is not... Yeah, that's not included in the shipping. <laughs> but this beautiful FedEx United Postal Service envelope is. Yes, this is, that's the one with the shirt in it because it's fat. It's fat. You're fat. Let's see what the shirt is. All right. I'm so excited. We've been waiting for this so long, so very long. What do we get here? We have. It's a steampunk reindeer. What? Steampunk reindeer. <laughs> I was gonna call it a llama. <laughs> Well, Steampunk llama. Well, because I mean, it's a Christmas. It's a Christmas box, so I'm assuming it's a reindeer. Okay, reindeer. It even has a nose. It's like Rudolph, red nose. Maybe. Don't gotcha. show us. Show them. Yes. If you look closer, can you zoom in? Yes. You can see it's a reindeer, and it looks like it might have a light-up nose. So I'm, I'm going to say it's Rudolph. It's gears and sticks and strangeness and Rudolph's a red-nosed llama, right there. <laughs> Very exciting. All right, so that's the first one right out of the bag. And we're under the impression that from here on out, these should be the same, right? They should be, but we shall find out. Oh, okay. Let's I'm going to try to pull out the same thing you pull out first. Well, okay. So I got a bag 
And what looks like a CD. Let's see what the CD is. Okay, I got a CD. The Aeronauts. Did you get the Aeronauts as well? I, I did. Yes. Sweet. Cool. It's we will got... have to play them yeah, on I have, our audio I don't, I don't think I've even show. heard of these guys yet. We'll so have I'm to get forward. approval first. But they've got nine tracks, including the ninth one, Steampunk Boba Fett. Ooh. So that's got my attention. Yeah. That's And there's a bonus. Either that's the bonus track or there will be a bonus track. That's pretty cool. I've not heard of these guys. So I'm looking forward to listening to them and then contacting them, see if we can actually play them on the podcast. Sweet. <laughs> awesome. What else do we have here? What is this? Oh, okay. I don't know what this is. Oops. It is. <laughs> okay. Oh, cool. I see what it's like. It's like a, yeah, a card of some kind and with a pop-up boat. That is awesome. Yeah, because it comes with an envelope, so I'm assuming it's a greeting card. Greeting card, of some kind. Yeah, if somebody sent me this for my birthday, I would. That's that would pretty be... cool. I like the pop up boat. Yes. <laughs> pop up books were my favorite books when I was a kid. That is fantastic. I love it. Wow. <laughs> and then the front has this little laser cut. Um, oh yeah. Ship design. <laughs> so that is that is a nice card. Is that paper or something more substantial? Cardboard. Like heavy cardstock. Yep. That's nice. Yeah, it's got a little bit of a shiny to it. That and was the envelope has a little bit of a pearlescent. Yeah, that's definitely very theme. unique. I, I was not expecting that. That is that very is unique. Cool. <laughs> very cool. That's very well done. That is awesome. Yep. All right. <laughs> now we got a bag. Feels like there's a bunch of smaller stuff in here. Okay. All right. Yes, a lot of smaller stuff. Just turn it over and shake it on the. <laughs> Okay. I'm gonna just oh. reach in and pull something out. I got a, mu a music box. Okay. Original oh. crankshaft. Okay, that's that's kind of cool. Does it come out of the box, I'm assuming? No, or it stays in the box? I imagine you could do whatever you like with it. It's yours. <laughs> I think the box is just the packaging for it. Oh well, yeah. You'd have to. I think you'd have to tear it up if you wanted it to yeah, come I think out. That's cool. Very vintagey looking. Oh, what is this? Here you go. Oh, what's that? Spoon. That came in there. Yeah. Where's my spoon? This is a very tiny eggplant-shaped spoon. It's <coughs> a kind of a tree of life. Celtic okay. Tree. Baby. I did not get a spoon. You didn't get a spoon. I did not get a spoon. Oh. Looks like oh. I got a. You got a. A wizard on a marble. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm not sure how steampunk that is, but that's cool. Little wizard on a marble. It, it, this is sort of a, a a notch in it to. I don't know what. <laughs> <laughs> Put that over there. They won't. That, I like it though. It's cool. It's a very tiny. I bet tea it's for like tea. Yeah. Yes. Oh, I was thinking or, cocaine. Know. Never mind. Speaking of tea, I've got two things of tea punk tea. Tea punk. Hang, hang it over the edge of your cup. Director says, "Hang it over the edge of your cup." Thanks, Chris. Chris <laughs> is our director for the video show. Yes, because he owns the camera. <laughs> and knows what he's doing. <laughs> and then, uh, speaking yep. of oh, tea, tea, yes, uh, tea punk teas has provided us with uh, a couple of. Of tins full of tea. Yep, I have. Do you have the same ones? I have? Companions delight and the red sands. Yep. Yeah. 
So if you're into tea, you, you get tea. They are, are sealed, so you know that they haven't been tampered with, which means I can't open them and take a sniff. And of course, well, they sent the cards. <laughs> Red Sands is a vanilla rooibos, which is a herbal tea. Uh, rooibos is actually really good for allergies if you happen to live in Austin. <laughs> yeah, very important. And Companions Delight says it is a peach and apricot green tea. It is green tea Ooh. with peach flavor and apricot flavor. Uh, sounds rather lovely. Awesome. Yeah. We have one thing I have one thing left. Yep. This is oh gross. Oh um, good. It's, <laughs> Clockwork it's, rejects specimens. Specimens. And what it's, is this? It's. I saw the word fetus. I'm not going to continue with that. I don't touch that. <laughs> I don't. I can't see what it is inside the bag, so I'm gonna have to open it up. I'm sorry, I have a... There's a restraining order. I can't touch fetuses. Oh, no. <laughs> it's against my religion. I'm I, just going to let you whatever. open yours up. I, I'm trying. I, yeesh. Only these little plastic bags elude me. Okay. I got it. I got it. <laughs> okay. All right. Clone of Dr. White. This specimen is part of a secret experiment that resembles Dr. White. Rabbit of necromantic science. Oh, it's a, a tooth? Well, that isn't what I've got. Well, it doesn't say the word. Actually, you know, it looks like a, a word. A tooth with a face carved in it? I think that's supposed to be some sort of skeletal rabbit-ish. Oh. Okay, so it's a nice little prop. But Wait, it's, it's not really Dr. White? It's a clone of Dr. White. Oh. But it says, well, this, it says this specimen is part of a secret experiment that resembles Dr. White, rabbit of necromantic science. Yeah, That's yeah. a tiny you little rabbit. You said tooth, and I, I think the... That's uh, the actual clone? Yeah. <laughs> it's supposed to be a rabbit in a jar. Okay, I'm going to open so this yours other is different one because then. it seems to be hideous and different. I saw the word fetus. That's as far as I want to go with that. <laughs> Thank you. <Okay. laughs> this says it is a thousand-eyed... What she said. Oh, okay. A specimen which grows into a monstrous demigod when exposed to rotting biomass. This is a, these are from Clockwork Rejects Specimens. Com. Series 1. I see clockworkrejects.com right yeah. across the back there. And this is a creepy purple pupa, if, if I would describe it. <laughs> Well, there's a thing on the back of the, of the thing that was on I there. It says, Dear creature, what lies before you are specimens gathered from hidden phantoms and ominous experiments. Keep them secret. Whoops. We're not Oops. keeping them secret. Sorry. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> <laughs> These Just specimens... between you and us. <laughs> These specimens no are intended for adult collectors. May contain glass, polyurethane resin, glow paint, acrylic paint, plastics, and maybe pumpkin goo. <laughs> that's what it says. Well, <laughs> but these are secret. Charming. Don't tell anybody about these. Sorry. Okay. Oh wow. Uh. So that's everything in my bag. Oh well, there's a little thing for curios. It's going to be a Circus do Soleil, which we're planning to go to later in the year. Yeah, we need to pick our dates. <laughs> yeah, we we've talked about that on our show, among other things. Uh, but it is coming up in two months. One month. One month. March. Well, in March. March. Yeah. Across the the uh, weekends of March, uh, touring through 
Dallas and then Houston, along with, along yes. with the rest of the country uh, at various times. More about that later. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I think that's everything we got here. Anything else in your bag? Did I get a, I got a flyer. And Curios, yes. And the Steampunk Tees, they, they're their business yep. card. That's everything. That's everything. Okay. Right. Well, that was the, the, the December box. All right. Uh, we do have a January box coming. Um, not sure if we're going to do this again, but we might. <laughs> Stay tuned. But it seems it seems to be consistent that their February, their December box we got in January. Uh, it's almost the end of January now, and we haven't gotten the January box, so which come in February, I guess. Um, Stay tuned. We'll find out. But this out. was very exciting. This was fun. All right. Uh, Steam it, chest. $25 for a monthly subscription. Uh, that may change. So, uh, uh, And that may th change, but that was what this we, was. We were directed not to talk about the prices, the price. but go, okay. to, go to steamchest.com, right? Yes. I want to make sure that's right. .com, yeah. Uh, and, and see the no a number of options that they have for uh, monthly steam chests with or without a t-shirt um, and, and various other options they have available to you. Uh, so, yeah, check them out. Uh, also... On occasion, I've heard they have uh, these these items for sale as individual items. Yes. Uh, for uh, if they got more in, mm -hmm. then they sell sent right. out in, in packages. And you may see them at a convention or two. We saw them at Steampunk November. They had a table there. Which is what got us <laughs> si uh, on board with them in the first place. Uh, so yeah, this was this was fun. Um, Hope you enjoyed watching. And um, after this, we're going to go into our regular talking podcast and no more video. <laughs> so, hey! <laughs> Thanks for watching. Hi. Hey, well, I hope you enjoyed that video. Um, that's our first attempt at it. Our first unboxing. We were very excited. I was very excited. Yes, me too. It was fun. I can't wait for the January one <laughs> this February. Right, yes. It's, 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 it's a little behind schedule again. Um, or, or maybe so, this is how, just how they do it. I don't know. I don't know. Um, so it was fun, though. Yeah, it was. Anyway, so on to the next thing. We went to a to the Mimosas and Midnight train ride last night. We were talking about it in our upcoming events. We won't talk about it anymore because it happened on yeah. Saturday night. Yep, last night. Yes. Which would and well, today is currently the 29th, and last night was the 28th. So there you go, of January. Yep. And uh, unfortunately, it was the night of the new moon, so mimosas and moonlight was a bit of a misnomer. There were no moon nights. No there, moonlight. There was no moonlight. <laughs> However, there were mimosas. They were delicious. Yep. And mimosas everywhere. Enjoyed them very much. <laughs> yes, there, it was quite a. It was a, it was an interesting time. There was all kinds of people on the train, um, walking up and down to different train cars. Um, they were all different, and every train had a different feel to it. As I noticed, as I walked through them, people were some people were nice and chill. Other people were they were having a good time. <laughs> you know, depending on what train you were in. And ours was pretty laid back, but there was a line for the Melissa's and ours. Yeah, we, we were right in front of the bar. So we were right in front of the line location to, to the or bar. tragic yep. location. So depending. basically everybody came through our, our train, so we got to see everybody and everybody got to see us. You know. Yes, we went in, in steampunk garb, of course. And we were joined by a couple of other members of the Austin steampunk group. Shout out to Cheryl and Jason. Yep, thanks for joining us for that one. That or, was Thanks for letting us join you. I, I'm really not sure how that worked. That's but. true, yeah. <laughs> and there were some other ladies on one of the other cars that were dressed up as well. I don't know who you were, but you looked fantastic, and you're welcome to join us anytime, ladies. Yeah, I should have took a card. I didn't have any cards. Oh, my bad. 
They were cool though. They 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 were definitely well dressed ladies, sort of a nineteen twenties um, hellbox hats, and they they looked fantastic. Definitely, it was it was it was all in all a really good time. And the train does all kinds of stuff. Um, not not just the thing. This wasn't even necessarily steampunk. It's just something that we said, hey, we're going to dress up steampunk and go on this train. <laughs> and we've done that before in the past. And it's always been a good time. How often do you get to you know take a train ride that isn't going to take you all the way to Chicago? Uh, these are a really nice. Um, it's sort of a hobbyist yeah. uh, train club. Uh, yeah, it's a so little. It's a short trip, like three hour trip. Round trip, and it's it's and it's good. It's fun. Yeah. Into the hill country and back again. Being that there was no moonlight, I have really no idea where we were. <laughs> That's true. We couldn't really see outside the windows very much, very very well either. Um, but when we go during the day, you know, the, you get to see the hill country and everything, and it's it's all fun. You, know? you get to see the ugly looks from the passing uh, uh, <laughs> traffic that's stopped behind the the the, the train. Um, so I'm usually the one giving the ugly look, so that that was kind of fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah, like I said, they they have all kinds of other stuff. So if you ever get a chance to ride it, you should. They have different themes. Uh, I see one the superhero train um, for for children. Um, do, do you dress up as a superhero and ride the train? That, that you can, yes. That's that's definitely one of the things. And um, it, I think it's. Uh, they have a they have a website right yeah yeah yes yeah as well costumes are encouraged um you'll you, we will stop for thirty minutes at a historic Bertram Depot for a tour and photo opportunities and yeah I mean, it's just all around a good time but it's, that's definitely kid, yeah it's, it's a kid friendly event because you know kids you know kids like superheroes right <laughs> but that's just that one I mean that's just one of the examples of the stuff they do they do a lot um, what else I mean have you seen you see anything else on their list there that they're doing I see a Mardi Gras murder mystery pl- train. I see a Valentine's Day flyer, um, and there's just the Bertram flyer. I mean, they, they have trips all the time, and they're all—they're mostly themed. A lot of them are themed. So if you get a chance, I recommend to try out one, one, this train. Lots of fun. Very historical. Each train car is from a different era in uh, uh, the Americans' great history of, of train travel. Mm-hmm. So you can be in a train car that, that dates from... Uh, you know the 1900s you can be in one from the 20s the 30s the 50s each each train car is just a little piece of of uh great history and it really takes you right back to that that era of a more genteel time of of, of travel. travel yeah speaking of, i mean it's a nice, it, it seems like a really nice way to travel i mean if i were to you know if i could afford it traveling cross country on it it'd be it could be interesting could be fun you know, <laughs> it's a long way, uh, a slow way to travel. Yes, but it's comfortable. It's more definitely more comfortable than a plane, mm-hmm. and definitely more comfortable than a bus. And you get uh, to yeah. see a great deal of this beautiful country. But um, speaking of travel, yes, <laughs> we have another etiquette lesson from Erica. All right, <laughs> and it happens to be about travel. Right. <laughs> so take it away, Erica. Uh, once again, I'm reading from Frost's etiquette guide. Uh, this is available on Amazon.com on Kindle for free. So if you ever feel like downloading a really fun book of American etiquette uh, from the turn of the century, I recommend this book highly. It's very entertaining. It's a lot of fun to read. Uh, so here we go. Traveling. 
There are many little points of etiquette and courteous observances which, if attended to, serve very materially to lighten the tedium and fatigue of travel, the non-observance of them being attended with proportionally disagreeable effects. No situation can be named where the difference between the well-bred and ill-bred of either sex is more marked than when they are upon a journey, and in this country, where all classes are thrown into contact in various public conveyances, the annoyance of rude company can scarcely be exaggerated. The duties of an escort to a lady are manifold and various, and the true lady will make them as light as possible, striving by her own deportment and agreeable conversation to compensate her gentleman friend for the trouble she may occasion him, to weary him constantly by complaints of the heat, dust, or flies, to worry for half an hour over some unavoidable mishap or annoyance, to lose or miss some part of her hand baggage every five minutes, forcing him to rise and search for what she eventually finds in her own pocket, to inquire every few moments, where are we now? What time is it? Are we nearly at our journey's end? To delay him when the trainer boat does stop for arrangements that should have been made ten minutes before, to fidget about her baggage or to find constant fault with what he cannot control, are all faults in which lady travelers are prone to indulge, but which all mark low breeding founded upon intense selfishness. Good nature, perfect courtesy, patience, punctuality, and an easy adaptation to perhaps untoward circumstances mark the perfect lady in traveling. When you see a lady detained perhaps for hours by a snowstorm, pleasantly trying to beguile the time by conversation, relieving tired mothers perhaps of the care of fretful children, jesting pleasantly upon the unpleasant delay, and uttering no complaint or impatient word, even if half-frozen or in utter discomfort, you may be certain you see a perfectly well-bred lady in every sense of the words. No lady should ever allow her escort to enter with her into any saloon devoted exclusively to the use of ladies, because he may be her own husband, son, father, or brother, does not excuse her, as he cannot stand in such relation to other ladies present. If a lady in a car or stage finds the exertion of talking tiresome or painful, she must say so frankly, and no gentleman must take offense." Weak lungs may be really injured by the effort made to be heard above the noise of a locomotive or wheels. In traveling alone, a lady should speak to the conductor on the train or in a long steamer passage introduce herself to the captain, explaining her unprotected situation, and they are bound to extend every courtesy in their power. It is better for a lady so traveling to wait until the rush of passengers is over before quitting a train or boat, and then, if not waiting to meet anyone, leave the station. A lady traveling alone may, with perfect propriety, accept courtesy from strange gentlemen, such as raising or lowering a window, the offer of a hand across a slippery plank, or any such attention, being careful always to thank him politely for the same, but in a tone that will not encourage conversation or further advances. Any apology made during a journey for accidental crushing, crowding, reaching over the seat, or the like, must be accepted, a silent but courteous bow being the best acknowledgment of the politeness dictating such apology. A gentleman, on entering a public carriage or omnibus, must never step before a lady, but stand aside until she enters, raising the hat slightly, if she acknowledges his courtesy, as a true lady will, by a bow. He may offer to assist her if she appears to need it, even if she is a perfect stranger to him. 
If a gentleman consents to act as escort to a lady, he must carefully fulfill all the requirements of that rather arduous position. If she meets him at a wharf or depot, he must be a little before the hour for starting to procure her ticket, check her baggage, and secure for her a pleasant seat. He must never leave her to stand in an office or upon wharf while he attends to her tickets and baggage, but having seen her comfortably seated in the ladies' room or cabin, return for those duties. In arriving at a station, he must see her seated in a hack before he attends to the trunks. In a hotel, the gentleman must escort the lady to the parlor before securing her room, but not detain her afterwards. However agreeable she may be, he may be certain she is longing to rest after her journey and remove from her travel the stains from her face and dress. He must at once escort her to a room, ascertain what hour would be agreeable for her to take the next meal, and meet her again in the parlor at that hour. He must not leave her upon arriving at the journey's end until he has escorted her to the house, and if he remains in the city, he must call the next day to inquire after her health. After that, the lady may continue the acquaintance or not as she pleases, but if she declines to do so by non-recognition at the next meeting, he is at liberty to decline acting in the capacity of escort to her again. A gentleman who is traveling alone may offer little courtesies to strangers and even to ladies, carefully maintaining a respectful manner that may assure them they need not fear to encourage impertinence by accepting the proffered civilities. In traveling abroad, the truest courtesy is to observe, as far as practicable, every national prejudice. The old proverb, to do in Rome as Romans do, is the best rule of etiquette in foreign travel. The man who affects a supercilious disdain for all foreign customs and all forms will not convince the natives of his vast superiority, but impress them with the belief that he is an ill-bred idiot. The most polite as well as agreeable travelers are those who will smilingly devour mouse pie and bird's nest soup in China, dine contentedly upon horse steak in Paris, swallow their beef uncooked in Germany, maintain an unweaking gravity over the hottest curry in India, smoke their hookah gratefully in Turkey, mount an elephant in Ceylon, and in short, conform gracefully to any native custom, however strange it may appear to him. Comparisons are odious, and to be continually asserting that everything in the United States is vastly superior to everything abroad is a mark of vulgarity. If you really think there is nothing to be seen abroad as good as you have at home, why, you are foolish not to stay at home and enjoy the best. <laughs> well, that would definitely make traveling a lot easier if people were to follow all those rules. Um, at least less annoying, anyway. Uh, that was that was enlightening, Erica. Thank you very much. <laughs> You're very welcome. Um, yeah, I, I think that's that's probably really good advice for for all of us who who enjoy travel, uh, or perhaps for those of us who don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, might make it a little bit more enjoyable. I just said, stay home. <laughs> <laughs> so there's your moment of etiquette by Erica. Um, so now we have a. Some subjects we're going to talk about with some 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 scandals, not really scandals, um, scam artists and and just people in the past that had interesting backgrounds, such as scam artists and what do you, what else would you call them? Swindlers, swindlers, scammers, <laughs> grifters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> of the Victorian era. Right. So I think what first off, um, facts. You have one. Who, oh, who, I, who are you talking first. about? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um. <clears throat> So this this is an interesting story that's been passed around. Since we live in Central Texas, um, this uh, is a story of the 
Baron de Bastrop. Uh, who, hey, uh, there's a Bastrop town just not too far from here. It, yeah, there sure is. <laughs> what do you know? Uh, so let me move this mic here. Sorry for the noise. Um, I'm going to tell this story a little bit in reverse for dramatic emphasis. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I present to you... Where do I want to start this? Because I'm just I'm reading over uh, the notes that I looked up. Okay. A gentleman uh, calling himself the Baron de Bastrop, uh, a he called he said he was a noble uh, of uh, Dutch descent, I believe, uh, showed up in a. Nacogdoches, Texas in where did my notes go because he's kind of all over the place <laughs> but the, so he the, went to Nacogdoches the town was called Nacogdoches yep. when he arrived Nacogdoches, Texas in 1805 so it's a little earlier than, okay. than the Victorian area but because this is such a wild story uh, I think it should be included yeah I'm, I'm um, all for that uh, he arrived alone, like not not with his family, but with uh, uh, servants. Hopefully, uh, he was doing his travel etiquette properly. And uh, he he moved to uh, San Antonio de Bear uh, and petitioned the commanding general at Chihuahua for permission to settle there as a Spanish citizen. So at this time, Texas was part of Spain, and. Uh, San Antonio de Bear, I assume, is what we call San Antonio now in the county of Bear. And if you're not from Makes Central sense. Texas, Bear is B E X A R. Right. Uh, I don't know where that pronunciation comes from because it doesn't sound Spanish. Bejar, I think, is is how it would. Oh, we'll we'll call it that then. Uh, Bejar. 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 Okay. So it's so it's, it's Spanish. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he's presented himself with noble title. Um, and asked to become a, a Spanish citizen. Um, and Texas was at that time mostly unoccupied, um, and Americans were starting to move in. They needed more more room, so they're moving west. Uh, they're moving uh, through Louisiana and into the Spanish territory. <laughs> so you're saying Americans are crossing the border into, Sp- into Mexico or Spain? Yes, <laughs> as it happens, that, that sort of is the case. Um, and so the Baron tried to start a, a colony near Behar, um, but uh, it was just it was it was frowned upon. Uh, the The Spanish uh, king does not want uh, Americans moving into their country. My, how times have so changed! So weird. Dutch, <laughs> um, as the case may be. So, uh, because he. Uh, because the the Baron de Bastrop is is very um, uh, easy to get along with, he knew he can speak Spanish and English and French and Dutch, and he's just a really friendly uh, sort of guy. He he makes friends very easily, and he works himself into an appointment as the second alcalde. Of the, uh, you'll have to excuse me, the Ayutamiento at the Behar. Uh, so that's like he was a sheriff and a mayor of this, I assume it was more like a camp uh, in in the, the 
roughly the San Antonio area. Um, or we're probably talking about the city of Bastrop. Probably. Um, or that, that, that general area. Mm-hmm. Um, and that uh, he, he uh, petitioned the Spanish for, for citizenship and uh, met up with a guy named uh, Moses Austin, an, a Connecticut businessman. Now, he was the guy who was trying to get permission from uh, the uh, Spain to allow Americans to come into the country and become Spanish citizens and build a, a city in central Texas. And uh, up until then, he was told he was told no. And after he got told no, he's walking across uh, the town, the city square, and he meets the Baron de Bastrop in the square. And they start a conversation. He recognizes him because they were in a bar together uh, up in, in uh, New England at some point. And so they hit it off. And the Baron is already, you know, close friends with, with higher-ups. Uh, he's excited. He, he jumps on board with Austin, Moses Austin's plan to bring people in. And uh, in short time, they've gotten their permission. They... They are given a, a large swath of land in central Texas that isn't being used by anybody. There's um, a lot of land in Texas not being used. It, and they were allowed to do what they ha- want with it to get people to come and, and live there. So uh, <laughs> between Moses and, and the Baron, they sell the land in, you know, acre parts or hundred acre parcels uh, for a, a very reasonable amount and they split the profits. <laughs> Makes sense. Okay. Sure. Land grab or land sell. Okay. And uh, let's see. Austin's uh, son, Stephen Austin. May have heard of him. Uh, later, I don't think it's the same Stephen F. Austin. I I'm not really sure. But he later writes about Bastrop. He says, He invited my father to his room, where he lived in great poverty, but his influence with the government was considerable and was very great with the inhabitants of Behar, who loved him for his benevolence of his disposition. He was a man of education, talents, and experience. So they went to Nacogdoches, uh, and... uh, was um. Moses Austin got ill with pneumonia, and he wrote a letter uh, depicting the future of Texas. Asked that Baron be the investment, the, the manager of the project. So now he's in in charge of pretty much everything. Um, his grant of of making the Baron uh, the project manager is approved, and then Moses dies five months later. Um, so Stephen Austin inherited his father's grant, and so they go into business together. Um, and, and they're they're getting people in. They they get a contract, bring in nine hundred families into the into the land, and uh, people move in. And uh, he's getting one hundred and twenty seven dollars per league for signing titles and splitting it equally. And they're they're doing real well. Um, and the colonists love 
the Baron of Bastrop. And they make him the provincial deputy of Bear County, or Bexar, Behar area. Um, he is appointed the sole representative of the Texas legislature and the, of the constituents of the state of Chahuila uh, in, in the Mexican Republic. I mean, they make him a really big guy. And and he's making this money, and he's he's reinvesting into the town, and and uh, you know, building the the necessary uh, infrastructure, but uh, he's very controlling of of what goods are available. Okay. So they have to buy from him, so it keeps more people from coming in, so it keeps him from really doing. As well as he could have, um, and uh, but everybody loves him, and uh, it, he does a, a a fairly good job, fairly, and, and uh, he died of an illness in eighteen twenty seven, and uh, when he died, he didn't have any money for a burial. He he ended up, even though he was, he seemed a very good businessman. He had all these connections. He was. He was dead broke, apparently, and so they needed some help to to uh, bury him. And and that's all seems well and good until they started realizing news starts coming back about the Baron of, of previous uh, business adventures. Apparently, previously he'd uh, come to uh, Louisiana and gotten a large parcel of land to build another town there where he again tried to bring people in uh he had a, an agreement with the mexican government that uh if he brought people in they would pay him per person and he would provide um construction materials and the seeds to start farming and all of these things and uh he brought americans in and apparently the Spanish king didn't like the people he brought in. Maybe they weren't productive enough or something. And so Spain cut its losses and just refused to stop, to, to bring any more people in. Okay. Or to, to provide any more, more services. And so he couldn't get any more people on. He saw where things, where things were heading. And so he sold his parcel to some other guy. Uh, and then left. And, and it split. <laughs> And that other guy eventually, um, he tried to make make good with it. He couldn't make any money with it, and somehow that got passed back to the Baron. He 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 gave up his his claim to the to the property. Went back to the Baron, and uh, then the state of Louisiana was purchased by America from Mexico, and all the. Uh, Citizens that the populace who was living there claimed those the lands that they were living on, and this the uh, American government was like, we don't recognize the Baron of De Bastrop at all or his property rights, and uh, who is that guy? And nobody seems to know, which uh, which is very interesting. Uh, when he was in Texas, he was very bitter about America. And didn't like America and the American government that he says screwed him over uh, his his business dealings, 
But nobody knows who he was when, hmm. when he just showed up on American shores claiming to be this this baron um, with a, a, a small sum of money. Um, and the idea that he, he had noble title. And for, for decades, uh, nobody knew who he was. Um, you know, he kind of gotten long, long forgot, but... Uh, Eventually, it was determined that he was from the Netherlands. Um, he was uh, born Philip Hendrik Nerig Bogle uh, from Paramar- excuse me, Paramaribo from Dutch Guyana, uh, which is in South America. Hmm. The son of uh, the Bogle family. His family moved to Holland and... Uh, he enlisted in the cavalry as a young man, um, but apparently he he split. Um, he, he he left Holland in, in 1793 with accu- accusations of embezzlement, and he fled the country. And uh, there was a price on his head of a thousand gold ducats for his arrest. So he, it would seem, came to America and changed his name and made up this whole new story um another thing i found really interesting uh in his business dealings in louisiana in that that uh other bad business deal um someone writes (laughs) a letter or writes a description of him uh that is found later says the baron de bastrop who is now coming down the river, appeared to me to have correct principles and to possess a great share of sense, and all the mildness of his temper is such that it has endeared him all uh, to all here. You will no doubt be highly pleased with him. He will, con- he will conduce to enliven your situation. So he was very, you know, personable, and he made friends easily. Um, but then later... Um, Oh, I can't find the letter now. They like they like tear into him. Uh, in such a way that's just like painful. Here we go. Uh a French traveler who visited Louisiana at the time wrote During the approximately three years that this establishment lasted, the Dutch baron was uh, was occupied from start to finish with building a mill for the future races of Wachita. Awachita? Wachita. I think that's a tribe. Where. Yeah, I suppose. Or, Or the territory thereof. When the weather permitted, he employed 20 to 25 workers for one of his pastures a day. And paid them from uh, the Delisle Seppi funds, which is a New Orleans merchant. So he's not paying them with his own money. (laughs) At the same time, he took vigilant care to ensure that nothing harmful to his trading privilege was imported to the post. Extending his surveillance much too far, he caused the inhabitants to lack everything and to pay dearly for the smallest things. His blind cupidity prevented him from noticing that he was the biggest victim, because if he had contributed to generously provisioning his canton, he would thus have convinced a large number of colonists to come and establish themselves in this, on his concession. Few men inspired on the outside so much confidence and interest, 
A handsome physique, a pleasant and calm face, simple and relaxed manners, an agree- agreeable, if not brilliant conversation. He was affable, with no apparent pretensions, always obliging, and the best of masters at his own house. His defects were vices of the mind rather of the heart, always seductive, without much knowledge or ability. He had, without enriching himself, ruined all who joined in his project. All his steps were marked with disaster. In Louisiana, all of the governors and men of substance were captivated by him. He left Alchita without having earned a cent and having done more damage than the wickedest of men. <laughs> wow. <laughs> he was just plain incompetent. Yeah. Hmm. Friendly, hoping for the best, but apparently not... Not very good at what he was wanting to do. <laughs> not competent or... So, or, or, incompetent scam artist. We don't know anybody like that, do we? Anyway... <laughs> Moving on, <laughs> but the people. The, the, bo- the bottom line is, they named the town after him. The the the, uh, the city of Bastrop. The uh, people who lived there named the town after him. Loved him dearly. He was their representative, the only representative uh, in Texas to the king of Spain, and uh, and he was well loved until his death. Only afterwards did they find out that he was a, he was what a fascinating character he really was. <laughs> Well, speaking of fascinating characters, I've got one. Um, oddly enough, he was born in South Africa as well. <laughs> no, no, I'm in South America. Oh, South. Okay, well, this guy's from South Africa originally. Okay, all right. Um, he was born in South Africa. He immigrated to San Francisco, California in, um, yeah, in 1849 is when he came to, came to, came to San Francisco. Uh <laughs> And he was basically, a, he was uh, investing in Peruvian rice, that's how he started. And then somewhere along the line, he lost a lawsuit, and he lost his contract, and he disappeared for a while. And then in September 1859, he came back claiming to be emperor of Whoa. the United States. How did that happen? He just showed up, and he wrote a letter to the San Francisco newspapers, Basically saying, this is what he this is what he wrote. At the preemptory request and desire of a large majority of citizens of these United States, I, Joshua Norton, formerly of Agora Bay, Cape of Good Hope, and now of the last nine and ten months past of San Francisco, California, declare and proclaim myself emperor of these U.S. And in virtue of the authority thereby in me vested, do hereby order and direct the representatives of the different states of the Union to assemble in musical hall of this city on the first day of February. Next, then on there, yeah, in February next, then and there to make such alterations to the existing laws of the Union as may ameliorate the evils under which the country is laboring and therefore cause confidence to exist both at home and abroad in our stable stability and integrity. Norton I, Emperor of the United States. (laughs) Do you have a flag? (laughs) So, I mean, eventually they reprinted it because they thought it was humorous. Um, but later and later on, he adds "protector of Mexico" on the, on the on, so he's emperor of the United States, protector of Mexico. <laughs> he added that title on there. Thus, and for 21 years did he reign <laughs> over America. <laughs> um, he was in a self-appointed self-appointed role of emperor. He entered, he issued a lot of decrees in matters of state. You know, after assuming control. One of, ones, one of the ones he did is he uh, abolished the United States of Congress. <laughs> he was, fraud and corruption prevent a fair and proper expression of the public voice. 
that upon violation of the laws are constantly occurring, caused by mobs, parties, factions, and undue influence of political sects, that the citizens has not that protection, person, and, and property which he is entitled. That kind of sounds familiar. Nothing changes. <laughs> yeah. They're all the same. <laughs> you know, and, and then later on he asks... Um, he he, you know. Later, they they ignored him, obviously. <laughs> so, so it's like, whereas a body of men calling themselves the National Congress are now in session in Washington City in violation of our imperial edict of the twelfth of October, last declaring that said Congress abolished. <laughs> whereas it is necessary for the repose of the emperor, empire, that said decree should be strictly complied with. Therefore, we do order and direct Major General Scott, the Commander in Chief of our armies, immediately upon receipt of this our degree decree. To process with a suitable force and clear the halls of Congress. <laughs> oh my goodness! He's asking the army to go get, go clear that Congress. They're they're drain the swamp. They're not they're not they're not they're not legal anymore. I've already I abolished them. GTFO. <laughs> <laughs> so, but they obviously the the army ignored them. <laughs> so and, it's hard to get good help these yeah, days. Yeah, you know. <laughs> and you know, and hoping to, and you know. Apparently, somewhere along the line, hoping to resolve the many disputes that have resulted in civil war, um, he issued a mandate ordering both the Roman Catholic Church and the Protestant churches to publicly ordain him as emperor. <laughs> Can you do that? Apparently, but you know they ignored him. Um, his attempts to overthrow the elected government have been ignored. You know? I mean, so he was always—he he just kept going, you know. And then you know, he, another one, another decree he did. Whoever, after due and proper warning, shall be heard to utter the abominable word Frisco, which has no linguistic or other warrant, shall be deemed guilty of high misdemeanor and shall pay into the imperial treasury as penalty the sum of $25. So if you called San Francisco Frisco, it cost you $25. That's a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, back then, definitely. I know people who live in San Francisco now that would agree with this edict. <laughs> Now, one of the things he did kind of do, that it wasn't because of him, but he had some good ideas. He, wa- he wanted to build a bridge between San Francisco and Oakland, hmm. as well as a tunnel between, uh, under the, the Bay Area. <laughs> and wow. he tried to get people, you know, get the money and get, you know, hey, we got to build this. We need these two cities connected. <laughs> and, you know, it didn't work. But later on, oddly enough. He got his bridge. Yeah. The bridge was built in 1933 and the tunnel was finished in 1969, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so... Somebody realized, hey, that was a good idea. We should do that. Wow. <laughs> you know, and, and people people loved him. You know, they was like they, they they thought he was silly, but they they took you know they took care of him. Um, the San Francisco streets. He walked around in a blue uniform with gold gold plated epaulets ep, ep, um, that was given to him by the officers of the United States because you know they liked him. <laughs> <laughs> like, Here, you. you're, you're, you're cool. Wear this, <laughs> you know. And they they gave him, you know when it wore out, they gave him another out, another one. Um, Wait, so that was the U.S. military? Yeah, they just gave him, they gave him a uniform. Yeah. <laughs> that that uniform was bought and paid for by the American public, exactly. and taxpayers, right? <laughs> yeah, no, he he was loved and revered by the citizens of San Francisco. Although penniless, he regularly ate at the finest restaurants in San Francisco. <laughs> They took upon them themselves to add brass plaques in their interests, saying that he ate there, appointed to his imperial majesty, Imperial Norton, the first United States. You know, he, he self-pinned imperial seals of approval <laughs> for him. He, he made his own money. People accepted it because he was, you know, <laughs> like, why not? <laughs> Local character. Yeah. You know, he, had a, he went over from a, 
from a what was it, fifteen cents to a ten dollar bill? <laughs> I think it was. And you know, again, ten dollar bills was a lot of money then, right? Although at one point in 1867, a policeman named Armand Barbier arrested him to to commit him to involuntary treatment for a mental disorder. <laughs> The emperor's arrest outraged the citizens and sparked scathing editorials in the newspapers. <laughs> that <laughs> officer was new. We're sorry. The so police, sorry. yeah, police chief Patrick Crowley ordered Norton's release and issued a formal apology on behalf of the police force. Wow. <laughs> you know, Crowley wrote that he has shed no blood, robbed no one, and despoiled no country, which is more than it can be said for for his fellows in that line. <laughs> Norton magna- magnanimously. Granted an imperial pardon to the errant policeman. <laughs> Your pardon for arresting me. <laughs> I, I'd vote for him. All police officers of San Francisco thereafter saluted Norton as he passed in the street. <laughs> just the sheer force of personality that it must have taken to, for him to just endear himself to yeah. an entire city full of people. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, he yeah he also issued his own money to pay for debts. Um, occupation was listed as emperor. <laughs> you know, it became known as accepted as a local currency in San Francisco. Yeah, fifty cents to ten dollars, fifteen cents to ten dollars, and a few surviving notes are are in collectors' items. They're still around, some of them. Oh wow! Uh, you know, probably in museums, I'm sure. Um, yeah, when his uniform became to look shabby, the San Francisco Board of Supervisors bought him a suitable regal replacement. <laughs> oh, so the city bought him. Yeah, well, the second one, his replacement. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, so, yeah, I mean, this guy, I mean, he, he came in as a, as a, you know, as a businessman. He lost a deal. He probably got really poor, and I don't know. Then he decided, hey, I'm going to be emperor. Had a breakdown. I'm going to fix this yeah. place. You know? Lost his marbles. Yeah. Um, and, but, but, but people loved him. I mean, kind of like, I mean, I'm going to say it, like Leslie that we had running around Austin. You know, mm-hmm. maybe not as eccentric as Leslie, but still in that area. You know, well, Leslie never got to be emperor. True. Leslie only ran for mayor. Yeah, he only ran, for, and he got votes. Don't blame me. I voted for Leslie. <laughs> you know, so that, that that's that was the emperor Norton in San Francisco back in the late eighteen eighties, before Portland, before Austin. Yeah, San Francisco was keeping it weird. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> you know, unfortunately. Um, Let's see what they have here. Yeah, a number of his decrees, they're, 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 they were submitted in the newspapers and everything. And it's, um, they put them in the, they're in the San Francisco Museum and Historical Society, maintained a list of decrees believed to be genuine. I don't know what they mean by why, why the others are genuine and others aren't, but, you know, but they have a list of all his decrees. Oh, wow. And apparently he put a lot of them out. But those are the, those are the silly ones. I mean, the major ones, like, you know, abolish the Congress. Hey, you know, <laughs> call the army to go. Hey, they're still meeting. <laughs> we should go stop them. Throw the rascals out. You know, and right now there's been an effort to rename the San Francisco-Oakland Bay Bridge after him. That would be awesome. <laughs> you know? um, yeah, so, I mean, that, that was imp- the Emperor the, Norton in San Francisco. The Emperor Norton flyover. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow, and so I mean, but yeah, I mean, he was just he they they he was a, he was a character, and he was a, he was I mean, he was harmless. He didn't hurt anybody, you know. So he was just out there having a, doing what he wants to do. Marched around in his uniform, giving out yeah. uh, edicts to and, the newspaper and, to publish. Yep, having the police salute him, you know, getting free <laughs> meals, you know. Hey, 
he figured out a way to, to survive. Yep. He was a hero this country needs, <laughs> but not the one we deserve. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that was the Emperor Norton. So, and, so now what do you have, Erica? All right. I have uh, a lady named Barbara Ernie. She was a resident of Liechtenstein who had an ingenious scam. She was a very large, strong woman with striking strawberry blonde hair. Apparently this earned her the nickname the Golden Booze, which probably makes sense if you're from Liechtenstein. Otherwise, it makes about as much sense as the rest of the story. Booze or boobs? Booze. B-O-O-S. Booze. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, But she had this golden uh, strawberry blonde hair. And this large, striking woman, very, very uh, charismatic. Uh, She carried a large box or chest on her back, and she would check into an inn and tell the innkeeper that her box contained valuable items. All of this treasure. You you must keep it safe for me. So the innkeeper would deposit the chest for safekeeping into a locked room where the other guest's valuables were also being stored Hmm. under lock and key. And then sometime in the dead of night... Ernie's chest would open up, and a small man came out, (laughs) grabbed the valuable goodies stored in the room, and then Barbara would carry the chest full of the stolen loot and the little man out into the night, never to be seen again. That's brilliant. (laughs) Why they didn't ever open the chest to see her valuables before they placed them in the room, I don't know. That's the genius of... Of having a large chest, I suppose. Yeah. People don't don't ask questions. (laughs) Uh, She and her small accomplice ran this scam at least 17 times that she admitted to during her trial. Uh, She was finally captured in 1784, and she was executed in 1785, beheading by beheading. They had to import an executioner because the the city of Liechtenstein was a a smaller city and didn't really have a professional uh, executioner on the the payroll. So they had to send off for one. And uh, so she was executed in 1785 at the age of 42. She was the last person to be executed in Liechtenstein. The death penalty was abolished 202 years later in 1987. No one knows the identity nor the fate of her small friend. <laughs> Does it say how many times she did that? 17. 17 times. She ran, this, she ran the scam 17 times. Checked into a hotel, said, here, you must put my, my valuable chest with, with you know, under wow. lock and key and the most secure situation that you have in your, in your inn. And the innkeeper, oh, yes, man, very much, yes, certainly. It's kind, of, all a, due kind of sad that that's an executable offense, though. <laughs> she must have really angered someone. Yeah, she took, she's, the one the one wrong thing got stolen or something. Yeah, you know. yeah. But uh, if she had split the country and you know gone t- to America, she probably could have kept that shtick going for another twenty years. Probably, yeah. Because <laughs> back then it was easy just to disappear in America. You well, know? I apparently, don't, it was easy I don't to change know. your name too back then too. You know, call yourself a Dutch. Nobleman, whatever. <laughs> Call yourself an emperor. <laughs> well, my gosh, it, you know, probably I'm I'm 46, so at, at the age of 42, she, her back was probably starting to hurt a little. You know, maybe, maybe. she wasn't moving as fast as she used to. Well, a little maybe she harder. could have put wheels on it and pull it behind her or something. <laughs> <laughs> There's other ways to bring it around a chest. Right, you know? <laughs> right. Uh, you know that that stick wears out after a while. Yeah. <laughs> you just can't keep it up physically. Wow, that's that's crazy. Yep, the golden booze. I have no idea. She's legendary. So we have we had the Baron de Bastrop, 
Emperor Norton and Barbara Ernie, the Golden mm-hmm. Goose. So those are some characters from back in the day. <laughs> and coincidentally enough, uh, one of our favorite bands in the world, Wino Vino, has a song called Lichtenstein. Yep, and we'll be putting that on next. And so that'll be our break, and then we'll come back and talk about the calendar and what's coming up. So we'll be right back. Oh, Lichtenstein, oh, Lichtenstein, is fiction any deeper than the valleys where the sun sets without incident upon the Big souls who put ourselves to bed ahead and, and whisper that tomorrow will pick daisies in the mountain air. Passing days will end us. Oh, your grass is so much greener.
Winovino, their Lippenstein song on their debut album titled Winovino, the third track. Um, they're, they're, they're a good band. You should look them up. Their website is winovino.org. O-R-G. You can also find them on YouTube. A lot of videos there. And, the Apple Store. And the Apple Store, yes. yes. So definitely look them up. They have shows all the time. We've seen them live many times. Really fun band. Um, I really enjoy their music, and they're just fun. There's a bit, there's a lot of them too. It's a big band. Yeah, <laughs> and they're really high energy. So really enjoy them. So we're going to talk about the coming inf- coming stuff this month. Um, the first thing up on, is February fourth next weekend. It is the Clockwork Souls playtest. This is a LARP, a live action role playing game. It is a playtest. We're going to be playtesting a lot of new rules. Um, it is February fourth, ten a.m. San Gabriel Park in Georgetown, Texas. Um, yep, starts at 10 a.m. San Gabriel Park. Not really sure where in the park. Do you remember where, where in the park it is? Um, it's by the bridge. Yeah, it's by the bridge. Uh, they're hard to miss because it's the ones dressed in cowboy suits and Nerf guns. <laughs> this <right>? is true. <laughs> so yeah, it's 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 a good out, good good time. If you want to go shoot people with Nerf guns, um, come on out. And if you, especially if you like LARPing, and if you like steampunk, it's a perfect mix. They tell you that uh, this playtest is going to concentrate on some of the production skills and magic abilities and integration of the non-combat skills into the game. Okay, so maybe not so many <laughs> um, Nerf guns. Well, they'll still have them, but yeah. I think it'll, it won't be a, a, a shoot-em-up-focused uh, agenda for that, uh, that day, which will be fun. I, th- I find uh, the role-playing uh, aspects much more interesting. Right. Yeah, well, that's what LARP's supposed to be about. Yeah. <laughs> So, that, yeah, it should be fun. Come on out and join us. I plan to be there. Do you plan to be there? Oh, yeah, I'm going to be yeah, there. Yeah, we're going to be yep. there. <laughs> All right. What's next? Your Gears and Beers. Uh, the Gears and Beers uh, uh, social is, is uh, we usually have it on the third Tuesday of the month, but this uh, month uh, our space is taken up for, with a, a burlesque uh, show going on thanks to uh, uh, Russ Argo. So, we are going to move to uh, the, what is that, the first Tuesday of the month, which will be the 7th, and we're going to meet in South Austin for a change. Uh, So, you Southeast will have a chance to uh, uh, maybe not drive quite as far or make it if you're not able to usually make it. Uh, We're going to meet at uh, Baker Street Pub on South Lamar. Yep, South Lamar. um, About 7 o'clock. I won't be able to get there till 7.30 because... That's not my part of town, <laughs> um, but uh, it's very informal. Uh, we we don't have our own room, so we're just going to find a, a good sized table and and get some beers and ha- have some meal, and yeah, what we do, what we usually do. Yep, just shoot the shit and chit chat, and, yeah, <laughs> and drink some drink and eat. Good times. So yeah, it's a yeah. Every, I've been I've been hearing why don't we meet in the south of Austin. 
We're going to be in the south of Austin now. Just this one time at least to see. Right. Then after that is Darwin Day. Darwin Day. <laughs> February 11th. Okay. Darwin Day, Austin. This is a public event sponsored by the Center for Inquiry, Austin, and Darwin Day, Austin. It is Saturday, February 11th from noon to 5 p.m. at the J.J. Pickle Research Center in Austin, Texas. The Center for Inquiry Austin presents a free event to celebrate the 208th anniversary of Darwin's birth. There will be something for everyone, fun learning activities for children and teens, fascinating lectures, and trivia contests for adults, professional development credit for teachers, if you happen to be a teacher, and birthday cake. Woohoo! Birthday cake. <laughs> All right. 208 years. Wow. Yes. That that I mean I mean I know obviously he's not still alive but that I didn't realize how long ago he was around. <laughs> right, and the theory of evolution uh, still going strong after all this time. So at some point maybe we'll have to say it's more than a theory. Maybe it's a fact. Maybe maybe <laughs> could be a fact. I'm still skeptical <laughs> after 208 years. Wow, so that that sounds like it could be a fun time. You know, I mean it's not necessarily steampunk, but hey, Darwin. Party? Why not dress up, right? <laughs> Absolutely. I, I, it's it's screaming for steampunks to show up. Definitely. And, and there's learning, and, and cake. Learning and cake are <laughs> some of my favorite things. Uh, now after that, it, it, this is not in Texas, but I'm seriously thinking of going to this because I've decided after going to Steamposium in Seattle last year that I'm gonna I'm gonna attempt to go to a different convention in a different state at least once a year. That way I can, you know, I can say I've been there and compare and contrast and all that kind of stuff. This is the Wild Wild West Steampunk Convention 6. It is in um, Tucson, Arizona. It's a good drive from here. Right, um, March 3rd. <laughs> yeah, March 3rd to the 5th. It's a weekend event. Um, I'm, but I'm, I'm personally used to driving long distances, so I think I can do it. Um, I looked up the maps. It's like a 13-hour drive. I'm pretty sure I can do it. Um, if anyone wants to join me. That'd be awesome. We can caravan or trade off driving. We can do this. We can do this. Um, I'm pretty sure Russ Argo mentioned that he wants to go and he's looking for for people to join as well. So I'm going to talk to him and get going. Um, but Looks like the Cog is Dead is going to be performing. Yeah, I think Frenchie and the Punk. Frenchie and the Punk is going to be there, which we've seen many times as well. Oh, we love those guys. <laughs> yep. And steampunks are the best people in the world. Yep, it just it's it's, it's our sixth year going, so it sounds like they got something. They know what they're doing. And so if they can, if they keep going for six years, they've got got to have it down. I think. I'm also seeing uh, Celtica. So if you're into uh, Celtic metal, or or. <laughs> Heavy rock influenced Celtic music. I think that's what that is. Awesome. And the Mission Creeps. I have no idea what they are, but uh, they look cool. Um, it's de- definitely some something new and wild to to uh, experience at this convention. Yeah, sounds this is like the- an adventure. Yep, it's definitely going to be an adventure. Um, like I said, Tucson, Arizona. Um, I don't think any flights go. Do flights go to Tucson? I don't know. I'm not going to fly there anyway, so it doesn't matter. I'm sure someone has a flight to Tucson. Yeah, but if but you know if you don't feel like driving, fly out there. You know, it looks like it's going to be a good time. Is that where we went to that wedding that one time? Uh, is that Tucson? Yes. Tucson is a great town. Then, in fact, it is. I think I've, I've been there a couple times for work, and it's, it's I think nice. It's about a 13-hour drive. Yes, yeah. it's, it's roughly a 13-hour drive. 
Um, if you but if you trade off part trade off driving, it shouldn't be it should be easy. Just boom, boom, boom. I, I personally and it's a can straight go, line. Yeah. <laughs> once you once you get past the hill country, it is pretty much a straight line. Definitely. So I'm I'm seriously considering going to this. Um, I'm I'm hoping to maybe get some partners to go with me. You, know? you can learn more about this at www.wildwestcon.com. Um, yep, and, you and there's buy a, your tickets there, and, and everything you need to know is right there. Yep, and of course, there's a Facebook um, Facebook event event for it of as course. well, <laughs> for which I'll put a link up. That, yeah. yeah, I'll even put the the dot com on there as well. So yes, let's let's consider this. Let's let's go let's go invade Tucson. Sounds fantastic. I'm in. All right. Um, last but not least, I believe Curios. The Circus de Soleil, Soleil that we've mentioned many times is coming up. It's com- coming up quickly. We're gonna we're gonna pick a day, and we're going. And <laughs> we haven't picked a day yet, but we will make an event. If you want to join us, let us know. Once 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 we decide when we're going, we will let you know. Right, they're gonna be touring uh, through Texas. They're gonna be in the, the Dallas area uh, at the end of February through beginning of March, and then I think end of March and into April they're going to be in the Houston area. And if it's Cirque du Soleil is a fantastic performing company. Um, it might be well worth going to see twice, especially since we have these really cool discount uh, coupons that we got at Steampunk November. Yep. And in our in our Steam Chest, too. <laughs> so. And in the Steam Chest, <laughs> yes. So, a few fun things coming up. So, yeah. that That's a lot of... That's actually... I thought... I did not think there was that much, but there seems to be plenty. Um, what the, what there is out busy. there... Yeah, what the, what there is, it's going to be fun. What what's, what's happening is all going to be good times. Uh, so that's it for this season two, episode two. I Thanks hope you enjoyed in. it. Yep. Thanks and for tuning. Until okay. next time, mind your, your gauges. Thanks for listening. This has been the Texas Steampunk Connection. Opening music was the Texas Steer Rag by George Botsford, recorded in 1909. Please like us on Facebook at Texas Steampunk Connection where you will find a link to all the topics we talked about in this episode. Until next time, mind your gauges! Sorry I lost it. We should probably start that over.